0: welcome back my friends once again to tips from the server room this is episode number 100 for for, (laughs) four four i didn't change that actually that was kind of weird for november the 10th 2015 i'm your host jack and i'm gonna guide you through all this magical world of servers network connections fiber optics Uh, All things that we have to deal with each and every day in our life as network administrators, systems admins, uh, server admins, or whatever you might be out there uh, in your world. And we're going to be talking about this stuff uh, in depth over the course of many, many shows. Uh, As I said, this is show number 100. So I've been around here for the long haul and and I plan on being around for a lot longer. So I hope that this is going to be a good show for you tonight. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Check out all the great tech shows at techpodcast.com. Also, don't forget, we're also syndicated across Stitcher.com. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R.com. Where you can pick up this show as well as many genres out there. So pick that app up today for your iOS device or your Android phone and be ready for all those great shows tomorrow. Please check out our website, and I hope you do this often at tipsfromtheserveroom.com where you can comment on these shows. You can also pick up your phone and give me a call at 724 701 Once again, that's 724-701-0550. And, you know, give me a little voice message. Ask your questions. I'd love to hear from you out there. I know you have questions. I mean, I've had questions. I've called the Mike Smith Tech Show, the Mike Tech Show. Uh, numerous times with questions uh, and thoughts I had on my mind. So I know you have some out there. So if you have any questions or ideas for future shows, you can also email me if you're not that kind of person that wants to talk on the phone. You can very simply email me, and that is at uh, tipsfromtheserveroom at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, and I hope you do, so you can find out when these live shows are airing. Live shows? Did Jack just say live shows? Yes, I do have a live show that airs. Uh, when I record these podcasts on Tuesday night, uh, I'm using currently. I am using. Hopefully, everything's working well enough here. Uh, it looks like it is, and I'm currently streaming on Google uh, Google Live uh, or YouTube Live. I guess it is. Uh, of course, it's owned by Google. So, but uh, it makes a great way to uh, put these shows out there to you. Uh, I know a lot of you like to watch uh, as we record these podcasts, and that's wonderful. I love that you do that. Um, I hope you like the new setup here tonight, and you're actually recording uh, with a different camera tonight. And I'm recording with my, uh, with my studio behind me. That's good and bad. It's good for you guys. Cause you get a different view uh, of the studio here, but it's bad for me because I can't keep up on uh, viewing all the uh, different tasks that's going on behind me. So it's good and bad. You know, there's, there's good and bad with that. And if you just want to listen to it, by all means, you can follow me, as I said, on uh, the tech podcast network, uh, you can also go to my website and you can, uh, Download that RSS feed and put that into your favorite pod catcher. So tonight I thought we'd talk about something that's been happening to us at work. Uh, it's been happening a few times. And in getting ready for tonight's show and doing some research and doing some preparation for tonight's show, I found that um, some of it, you know, is, is partly our, responsi- our, our uh, responsibility and what we've been failing at. But what it is uh, we're talking about tonight is packet storms. Now, if you've never had a packet storm before in your network, well, let me tell you what. It is uh, (laughs) a disastrous thing to happen. It's going to blow your network out of proportion. Uh, You're going to uh, start getting what's called data collisions, and it's just a horrible, horrible thing. So we're going to talk about that, and we're also going to investigate a few ways here on the show tonight of how you might be able to um, uh, make it less uh, make it to be less of a problem. So make it to be to the point where you're not going to have to lose sleep in the after lose sleep in the afternoon, lose sleep at night, uh, worrying about your networks the next day. Are they going to crash? Is there something wrong? Is there something we can be doing? Well, there is. There is something you can do. And uh, at the end of this show, I might throw in a little tidbit of information of what we're doing to maybe track this down and uh, isolate these issues. Well, we have a couple uh, a couple ways that we deal with this, and and I'll tell you those steps. So first, let's talk about uh, what is a packet storm and, uh, you know, what's the definition of a packet storm? A packet storm is a broadcast storm that occurs when a network system is overwhelmed by continuous multicast or broadcast traffic. When different nodes are sending broadcast data over a network link and the other network devices are rebroadcasting that data back to the network link in response, This eventually causes the whole network to melt down and lead to a failure of network communications. So investigating that in just a minute here, what we're talking about is, and and I'll tell you, I don't know if I typed this up in my notes, maybe I did, but I'm going to tell you now how this tends to happen with us uh, in the education field, and it happens with many schools. Uh, i talked to a lot of different school districts uh, that we deal with, a lot of different uh, colleges that we work with, and what happens is, or what tends to happen is just that the case is the, the, the packets or the networks <clears throat> in many, many of our uh, classrooms and many of the college dorms, there's multiple network connections, uh, or network drops in a room. So what happens sometimes is somebody gets a bright idea or they do it very honestly that they don't even know they did it. Um, <clears throat> there'll be a network switch sitting on top of a, say a laptop card and, uh, that network switch is for a printer. So instead of taking the, the network cable to the printer, For some reason, they want to take both network cables and plug one into patch A and one into patch B on the wall. And what happens is it starts going through that network switch and you're rebroadcasting that same traffic back to the network. And after a while, it's basically a short circuit on your network. It's just the same as uh, if you short circuit your car battery, you get a big spark. We're kind of creating a bigger spark, but that's in in the idea of broadcast packets, uh, multicast and broadcast traffic. So it's, it's reoccurring in there. It's, it's rebuilding itself. But what happens is over time is this will rebuild itself and it will start spreading uh, like a virus almost over your network until it shuts down every single switch. And usually or hopefully, if you have a lot of people using your network, what's happening here is if they're using your network, I'm just checking my stream. If, if you're using your network, what happens is You may have somebody call you and say, look, uh, we just lost Internet connectivity or we just lost network connectivity uh, in building C. So you got to be very, very, um, very responsive to that. So get to building C and find out why, because if it is a packet storm, if it is a short net short circuited network, that's going to start traveling through your network and work its way back into your main switches, taking out every single part of your network. This can take, I've seen this happen over an hour. Uh, I've seen this happen over a half a day. So it's very, very hard for you to track down when it happened and where it happened at uh, without doing a room-to-room search and trying to figure it out that way. But we're going to talk about that in just a minute, easier ways to find this. Now, there are many reasons a broadcast storm occurs, including poor technology, low port rate switches, or improper network configurations. Now, if you think about that for a minute, and this happens many times in any industry you work at, anytime you're a technologist or network administrator, as we build our networks, it always seems to be we never have enough drops. So what we do is we buy a low-end switch. Let's say you buy a low-end Linksys five-port switch to put in, put in a, uh, the CEO's office because now he only, he don't only have um, maybe his desktop computer, maybe he wants a couple other things plugged into the network. So you put a low-end switch in there. Well that low end switch is is a cheap device. Even though you have the big heavy duty VLAN switches on your network, you have the Cisco, you know, switches running in there and everything you think is wonderful, you can start finding some some areas where that switch may be a very poor technology. I've also found this to break down very um, a likely place where many people say jack it can't happen. A network card in a PC. This is one of those areas where it's hard to find us. But a network card in a PC can short out. Something can happen to it. It can malfunction. So if you're buying those cheap cards, like for you know twelve dollars, thinking man, we're saving a lot of money, be careful out there with that. Uh, especially if these are networks that you're consulting with. If you're a consulting business and you're putting this in for, say, a doctor's office, uh, or or somewhere else that you work with, um, I always use doc because I do doctor's office consulting. So I talk about doctor offices a lot because I know I build their networks. But if you put that cheap card in there and you're not there every day and something happens and you can't break away and get to them immediately, that can cause a packet storm. That can shut their network down. Um, Or, as I said, poor network configurations. And this tends to happen as you build a network and you start building it more and more and more and you're increasing your overall network uh, by adding nodes all the time. Because we always are adding nodes. You're adding printers. You're adding network, uh, uh, network connections for this and that even your wireless access points that you're plugging into that network, you're creating a bigger and a much larger network configuration. If you don't go back and revisit that from time to time, what's going to happen over time is you can have one of these packet storms. You can have something malfunction. Now a broadcast storm is also known as the network storm. So a broadcast storm is also known as a network storm. So when this happens, um, What can happen often does happen. Okay, so let's talk about that a minute. Although computer networks and network devices are very intelligent and efficient, networks and network devices sometimes fail to provide 100% efficiency. The broadcast storm is one of the major deficiencies in a computer network system. When we build our networks, we build them, we plan them, and we sit down. We're planning on rebuilding our network now. We're actually buying all new switches. So we have this big overhaul that we're doing to our network. And instead of just throwing the switches in the rack, start plugging them up, start assigning VLAN ports to different ports and VLAN segments. And we're drawing it out first on a Cisco Packet Tracer. Now, if you've never seen this program, it's a wonderful program. It's going to cost you a couple bucks. But Cisco Packet Tracer allows you to put your network switches in, uh, put end devices in, give them IP addresses, put your servers in. And what it allows us to do is it allows us to name the switches, how we're going to name them in real life, and it allows us to start configuring those switches virtually. So we don't have to throw the switch in and and pray that it works. We're building these configuration files in the hope of when we get our new Cisco gear in, we're going to take that configuration file that we have on the working uh, model uh, so to speak, on the uh, virtual model. And we're going to uh, take those files, those running, uh, uh, the running INI files or the running system files, config file. And we're going to put that into, we're going to upload that into that switch. So that switch should be ready to go. So we're planning on programming all of our switches, having everything ready to go, all the ports labeled before they ever go in the rack. That's the kind of detail that we're working on right now. So something you might want to think about. Let's talk about how a packet storm can happen. Let's, let's, let's go over that a little bit. Here's an example. Suppose there's a small LAN network, it can be your consulting, uh, your consulting company's out working on a small uh, local area network, consisting of three switches, switch A, switch B, and switch C, and three network segments, segment A, segment B, and segment C. The nodes are attached within this network. Node A is attached to segment B, while node B is directly attached to switch A. Now if node B wants to transmit data packet to node A, then the traffic is broadcast from switch A over to segment C. Now if this fails, then switch A also will broadcast that same traffic over segment A. Because node A neither attaches to segment C nor A, these switches would further create a flood to segment B. And in that case, what's going to happen is uh, if if neither device or switch has learned that the uh, node A address, then the traffic is sent back to switch A. Hence, all devices and switches keep sending and resending the traffic. So they're sending this traffic, think of if on a modern day bridge uh, in your city or in your town. If we keep sending all the cars over this bridge and they keep going around going over this bridge and over this bridge, eventually there's going to be a crash on that bridge because we're, we're, we're tripling the traffic. We're, we're tri- uh, tripling it, try, try tripling it, uh, quadrupling in the traffic, and there's going to be a crash. So the final result in, is the network melts down. The network melts down. There's a major packet storm causing, causing failure in all network links, which is referred to as a broadcast storm. So I know that's a lot to follow. So look in your network. Look how your networks are set up. You know, see where this network, if you have to, get yourself, I sometimes I do this. I like to get a large sheet of paper, you know, off of one of the large rolls uh, we use, um, like if you have uh, like a seamless backdrop that photographers use. Something in that nature. So if you take one of those big sheets of paper, lay it out on a big flat table, and draw your packets out. If you don't have packet tracer or some other software, draw it out and look where those packets are going. Look, is there any time or any, any way that those packets can cross uh, into any of those other areas? Can they cross back and forth? Can they switch back and forth into those areas? And then, once you look at that, make sure that's not going to happen. But as I said, there's always human error. Human error is somebody can plug two sides into that network, and all of a sudden, you have a shorted network, and you have a major packet storm. Now, these following elements play an active role in the creation of a broadcast storm. Okay, listen to some of these uh, some of these ways that we can. Create a packet storm, and there's ways you can create your own packet storm. Go short your network out and see how long it takes to get back to your main node. I mean, if you ever want to test this out, it's not gonna. It doesn't really destroy switches, um, not that I've ever seen. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it happen where it destroys a switch uh, or ruins a part of your network. So you can uh, simulate this. You can also, you know, you can short a network out. Take one patch cable, stick it between two ports on your switch at the furthest end of your network and see how long it takes for your network to shut down back to your main server. And when you clear it, when you take the patch cable out, it takes about five to 10 minutes to clear itself back out through that network. But it will clear. You don't have to reboot your switches or do anything crazy like that. Uh, But it will give you an idea of if a packet storm happens, how long do you have uh, to respond to that issue? Now, these play important roles. Poor network management, obviously. You can't manage the network. Uh, it's just poorly built. Poor monitoring of the network. How many of you out there monitor your network? We don't as much as we'd like to. I mean, there's times we do. We tend to monitor the wireless because um, you know the wireless is is set up with a wireless controller. It's built to monitor, so it's easier to monitor. But you can buy switches out there. And with the new switches, we're looking at monitoring software. Our idea is is to put maybe a 47-inch screen TV up in our office, and all we'll have on it all day is packet tracing. It's just going to have all the switches up there, and it will alert us immediately, and we will be able to see visually if something's going wrong. So that's how we're going to monitor our network. Also, don't forget, many of the switches out there, and I know our switches uh, that we're getting, we can set up alerts on those, where it'll actually send us a text message, hey, port number 3, on Switch 45, something just happened. And it can pretty much tell you what happened. You can set up alerts to say uh, a packet storm happened. Uh, the, the, the port went dead for some reason. Uh, there's no data traveling over the packet. And you get that alert, and you can go look at that port. And, and we'll talk about network design sometime, because that could be a whole other show, uh, because we're going through this world of network redesign. And, and it is just a humongous amount of work. Absolutely humongous, depending on what size the network you have. I mean, uh, if I could show you pictures of our network, I would. But, but you know, working in education, we're not allowed to do that. There's a lot of things I can't show you there. Um, but it's just just ab- astronomically huge uh, over this network. Now, so monitor your network as much as you can. Look at your switches, see if you can set up alerts on those and see if they'll alert you. Now, the use of we talked about this. The use of cheap devices, including hubs, switches, routers, cables, connectors, and etc. Uh, I don't know what etc is, but I guess anything else that could possibly go wrong. As I said, network cards. And I'm not telling you to go out and buy the best cable in the world. You know, we just went over this uh, repurchasing all the new patch cables for all the switches and all the racks and everything, and... When you buy patch cables, and and I would suggest, uh, if you've never looked at it before, go to Monoprice. That's M-O-N-O-P-R-I-C-E.com, monoprice.com. They're not part of the show, but as you folks know, if if I like something, if something works for me, I like to share it and pay it forward. You're going to save a ton of money on cabling. Humongous amount of money. I don't even know how they sell them so cheap. Um, Because we bought three-footers and five-footers patch cables. Uh, you know, so you pay anywhere from $2 to $5 for, for a patch cable, which isn't bad. You can make them yourself, but by the time you buy the ends and all the man hours, the labor sitting around making those, you're, it's cheaper to buy them pre-made. Now, they do have cables there that you'll see, if you look at that site, uh, a three-foot cable. I've seen one sell for $5. So is that what I need? Do I need a very expensive cable to handle that data? No. But on the same note, don't buy the $0.96, cent, you know, five-foot cables because they're saving money somehow. Uh, it could be low-quality cable. It could be low uh, low twist ratios in the cable. You know, it could be a, a, a smaller diameter cable. I try to stick with 24-gauge cables. Just something to think about. Put that in the back of your mind. Switches, I mean, you can buy cheap switches, and, and we have purchased cheap switches in the past. Uh, the reason we purchased those, obviously, is to save money. But there is other reasons you buy cheap switches because, say, if it, I've done consulting jobs. And I said, look, we need a 24-port switch. It's going to be $700. I'm like, whoa, $700. And that's, you know, relatively not that bad. Uh, $700 because it's managed switch, blah, 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 blah. And they go, wait, 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 Jack. We can't afford that. And so then I quoted out maybe $150 uh, Linksys or Cisco switch or whatever they call those now. Who knows who owns the companies? You're taking the chance. Uh, just like if you're using hubs, if you have hubs in your network, you, you get out of the business and run away. Run fast. Uh, just just leave the business because who's using hubs nowadays? Uh, hubs are very unintelligent. We know that. Hubs uh, subdivide our networks out uh, astronomically because you have that one port going in as your feed cable and all the other ports are divided divided bandwidth off of whatever you're supplying, uh, where a switch could be 100 or 1 gig per port. And now I would also suggest using one gig switches, you know, one gig per every port. I just bought one of those for the house, actually, because I, I put in, I don't know if I told you or not, but I put in my own cloud storage device, uh, a Western Digital uh, My Cloud, a personal cloud storage device. And um, I actually have some YouTube videos, and I'll be posting here uh, sometime. But it's nice, but the thing is, my... my uh, my switch downstairs is only 10, And I thought, well, if I'm transferring big files like these videos I do for YouTube and all this stuff, if I transfer all these files, what's going to happen is it's going to take a long time to get there. So I don't want to do that. So I bought myself a new, and I think it's laying over here. Yeah, it's a Netgear. I bought a Netgear eight-port switch off of Amazon, uh, a gigabyte switch, but it's for my house. You probably don't want to put that eight-port switch in your network uh, with your you know, uh, $1,200 Cisco switch it probably is not a good idea uh, because that could be your point of failure. So that's just stuff to think about. I know we're all into saving money. I know it's important, uh, especially if you're a technologist for a company, budget times are coming up and, you know, we all get under those, uh, those constraints of money. I mean, that's very, very important. Unfortunately, in our business, the way we do things in life, money is not our greatest concern. Our greatest concern is reliability which we try to keep at 99.9% because anybody that does 100% is lying and um, uh, living on his network all day long. He never goes home or sleeps. So 999 is pretty good. Uh, even 989 is fairly decent. I would go for that. So Now, improperly maintained network configuration and inexperienced network engineers. Now, I'd like to talk to you a bit about that. How in the world do you have an inexperienced network engineer? If you're a network engineer, you probably went to school to become an engineer, and you probably have some kind of networking training. So if you come out of school and you just paid all that money for a four-year college to become a network engineer, and uh, you totally suck at it, you probably shouldn't be in this business. Uh, This business is not a place for people to come to and um, be inexperienced with a four-year degree. I mean, we see them. Hey folks, we have interns that come in from colleges and sometimes I ask them to just go mix me up a cake batter or something because I don't think they're in the right field. Um, and the, the other part of that, the other part of going to school is they can't teach personality when you're in school. You, you, there's no class, uh, you know, personality 101. There's no class for personality. And I know we're getting a little bit off the subject, but I'm trying to, trying to get to you about the different experience levels of people. I've met these people and I've had honest conversations with these kids when they come to me. I said, look, I feel the best place you can be, the best place you can serve the uh, computer community, uh, the networking overall gurus of uh, the industry is maybe work in a data center. where you don't have to deal with people Uh, because dealing with people. And if you're a consultant, you deal with people. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, If you if you work in a school, we deal with people every single day. We deal with multiple personalities of people. Uh, we deal with uh, multiple competency levels with computers. Some people think they know a lot, but they probably don't. And, you know, you kind of have to spoon feed that, but you have to have a personality to deal with those folks. You can't go and be like, you did it all wrong. That's just stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. That's not a personality, uh, you know, to deal with the, the human person out there. So, But I, I, I think this was funny when I did this research, This this <laughs> – inexperienced network engineers now you can maintain a network configuration you can uh, improperly maintained i mean that happens with growth and, and i'm not throwing that out there if, if it ever happened to you it happens with growth it happens to the best of us out there believe me uh, not that i'm the best i have my quirks too and i have my quorums and i you know i tell even my we have uh, student techs, and i tell them i am not the greatest at this business i don't know everything i mean you can't our business is very vast uh, but I'm one of those uh, jacks of all trades. I pick up many, many trades. I do everything from programming to network switches, uh, I, I, I program Visual Studio, you know, to, uh, to running cable. I mean, I'll do just about anything. Here's a big one that we talked about earlier the lack of network uh, diagram design. Now, I told you that we have been using this uh, Cisco packet tracer to design the diagram. So, to lay this whole diagram out is, is a wonderful thing, and to be able to set this stuff up, uh, but I'm a very visual person. I've always said I'm a visual learner. If I can see it, I understand it. And I think a lot of us out there in this field is that way. How many of you uh, get something new? Like when I got um, my, uh, my, my little MyCloud, my Western Digital MyCloud. I've never had one before. Um, now, I could have just went about it. It had a network connection and a power plug. I could have probably figured that out, but I didn't. I read the instructions. But how many of us read the instructions? You get a new router for your rack or a new firewall. You know how to program a Cisco firewall. You throw it in a rack. You know you plug up port 0 slash 0 network connection and 0 slash 1 for the inside, and, and you configure the thing. Very simplistic. We've done it a billion times. Why do you want to read instructions of how to plug it in? So I see that point that I'm a very visual learner. If I see it, I understand it. So the lack of network design, which is needed for proper management, and to provide guidelines for all network traffic routes. Now, this can be done on paper. As I told you, the big sheet of paper, write it out. Stick it up on your wall in your shop so everybody can see it. Don't be a network Nazi. I've told you guys this a thousand times. Don't be a network Nazi. Don't keep this knowledge to yourself, because if you have a heart attack and you need a pacemaker or, or an internal defibrillator and you're in a hospital for a month or you break a leg... Uh, you have pins in your legs, and you can't come to work for a month. You want somebody to be able to maintain that network. That's your baby. You know, would you ever raise your kids like that and take your kids to your mom's house and not take a box of diapers with them? No, because you want her to be prepared for that baby that's going to happen. And they say shit happens. And this is the same with our networks. Shit happens. So you want people to be prepared for that. So share your information. Draw these diagrams. Let your people know where these diagrams are. If you don't have it sticking on the wall like I do because I'm just that kind of visual person, um, let them know. Let them know what it means. Let them know how it operates. Get them involved in building your network. Uh, My partner work is very involved with building the network. We discuss things all the time. Uh, I mean, the the primary ending of this whole thing, you know, since I am technically – Technically, you know, a little quote. Technically, the boss, I mean, I'm responsible for all this stuff. I'm the first one that my head's going to get cut off if something goes down. But he's responsible for backing me up and stuff and making sure things stay working. So I think it's important that he knows. Um, So make sure you have have a paper diagram. This can also be done, as I said, on paper or with the help of application software that creates an automatic network design. And there's many network programs out there. I mean, there's one I used to use it all the time. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Microsoft has one that everybody seems to like, and I find to be too cumbersome, and I never liked to draw my network designs in it. Um, I can't remember the other one, but maybe I'll tell you in another show. Or email me, and I'll find you the name of it. Um, But uh, there's not that many great ones for the Mac. I have found that out. Most of them are for Windows. Now, um, users connecting your network into a loop and shorting your network. We talked about that. That can surely happen. Uh, This has happened uh, to us, as I said a few times, where someone plugs a hub with two ports into the network. So how can we overcome some of this? We talked about overcoming it by uh, proper network design, proper network configuration. Uh, We talked about all that stuff and and how we would do that uh, as a network administrator, as a systems administrator, as a server administrator, as a guy like me that wears 20 different hats and, you know, around the company uh, that has to uh, work in all facets of technology. Uh, integrating into education. So I have a wonderful job. Don't get me wrong. I think our job, and my partner came back to me after leaving for a short uh, period. Uh, he was looking at greener pastures on the other side, but he came back, and he will tell you also that technology and education, if you get a job in technology and education, either at the uh, the K-12 level or, or even um, at the um, college level, Grab it. Take that job. Even if you make less money uh, in the industry, it is such a vast and, and a rewarding uh, experience. And I say that because we have the chance to work uh, right now. We have student techs. So we have the chance to work and maybe help and, and, and foster some of this youth. Because uh, like I have said t- our teachers are the most wonderful people in the world. My wife's a teacher, and I tell her all the time it's a wonderful thing because teachers— get to form little minds. They get to uh, put their little bit of knowledge into those little minds. And, and, and maybe, maybe they'll grow up to be a technologist and maybe uh, work in our industry and do something great, uh, invent something wonderful that we may use in the future. Who knows? But So I do work in a very great industry, and I'm, I'm very uh, honored and privileged to be there. So uh, I think it's wonderful. But the second part when we get interns is we tell them is we get to touch everything. I mean, you know, we have everything from Macs, uh, just a brief uh, little segment here, but Macs to Windows, uh, we have Windows servers, we have a Mac server, iPads, uh, Kindle devices. So we get to touch every different kind of network and we work with the switches. You know, if you work in a big company, you're not the network administrator, you're not looking at a switch. You're you're not going to look at a configuration. You're probably not going to look at the firewall configure. You're not going to know any of that stuff. If you're just a PC repair guy, you're just a PC repair guy. You go to school, you're the guy, and, and, and that's what I like. I like being the guy, the guy that people go to say, hey, help me make this work, and, and that's what we do. So let's talk a little bit about, we talked about this in a past show one time, VLANing. Now, VLANing, or virtual LANs, can uh, often decrease the risk, decrease, can often decrease the risk, not eliminate it, of running your network into the ground. Now, just a brief overview, a virtual LAN, if you don't know, and I'm sure you know this, but we're going to touch base because I know there's a lot of people watch this show and listen to the podcast that don't really understand what a VLAN is, is any broadcast domain domain that is partitioned and isolated in a computer network via data link layer, layer two. LAN is abbreviated for local area network. So we have the local area network, and sometimes most buildings, most places, most people I consulted with, Um, the schools that I've worked with uh, originally when I walked in, they have what's called a flat network. Now, a flat network is where everything's just plugged into switches, and you pray that everything's going to travel to its right destination. A virtual LAN, or virtual LAN, is we have one switch, but we can segment that switch up and basically take one fiber cable into that switch, and we're sending multiple networks over that one fiber. So what this does is, this is the same as if we have a one-lane bridge, you know, you have to wait on one side and let the other car through, and then they wait and they let you through, where now we just made a five-lane bridge where everybody can travel at their own speed and do their own thing while not interrupting the other lanes. That's what a virtual LAN is. That's how you can decrease your overall packet storms. That's very important. Now, to subdivide your network into virtual LANs, one configures a network switch or router, Simpler network devices can only partition per physical port, if not all, in which case uh, each LAN is connected with a dedicated virtual or, or network cable. Okay. The LAN connectivity is limited by the number of hardware ports available. More sophisticated devices can mark packets through tagging, talk about that in a minute, so that a single uh, interconnect trunk May be used to transport data in multiple VLANs. Since VLANs share bandwidth, the VLAN trunk might use link aggregation and a quality of service prioritization to route data efficiency. So, now design this network with Packet Tracer. Um, there's there's many ways you can do things, and and as I said, I don't know everything in the world, and and I know you don't either. So I'm just being honest with you. Uh, you listen to this podcast because I can share you inf- share information with you. And I would pray and hope that you share it back with me. That's a two-way street. That helps me to help you. But So you have two physical switches, switch A and switch B. Now, some switches require a physical cable to transmit your VLAN. Don't ever buy these. That would be uh, very, very ridiculous. Anyway, the idea here is, so switch A and switch B. If you have three VLANs, you have to have three physical cables between A and B. If you have 5 VLANs, you need 5 cables between A and B. Each cable can each cable transmitting and receiving that particular VLAN. The new switches, like the switches we're getting, the switches you should have in your racks and the switches you should buy is very simply is you would have a fiber cable and then you assign one port to what's called the trunk port. A trunking port takes all those VLANs, you could say trunk trunk please trunk VLAN 1 through VLAN 10. So you have 10 VLANs on that switch and 10 VLANs on the other switch. Trunk all those VLANs and send them through that one fiber. That's what you want. You want it, Because then you only need one physical connection between those two switches. And that's what they're talking about. That's a trunking port. Very, very simplistic. Uh, when we started, you know, doing this overall overhaul and started drawing this stuff out, I would lose sleep at night because I was like, this is so in-depth and so ridiculously hard. Um, I'm going to have to go back to school and become a network engineer to understand it, but it's not. Just break it down. Um, and, and there's great, and not just this podcast and this video you're watching, if you're watching the YouTube video or a stream, uh, there's very easy ways uh, to create these trunking ports. And it, it's very, very seamless, and it works very well. And there's great videos out there that will teach you each step of the way. We'll teach you the programming. There's some programming to get the port. Uh, assigned to the VLAN, they get the VLAN assigned to the trunk. And that's where tagging comes in because the tagging, it's going to tag it and identify that data packet on VLAN 5 as VLAN 5. So when it goes through your trunk port and it goes through that fiber to the other switch, it's going to say, where does this go? And it's going to say VLAN 5 because of the tag. It hits VLAN 5. It travels from that switch to the next switch to VLAN 5. And there's your virtual network, your virtual LAN. So it's very, very simplistic to see that. Now, VLAN, a VLAN allows network administrators to group hosts together, even if the hosts are not on the same network switch. Talk about that in a minute. These are greatly simplified network design and deployment because VLAN membership can be configured through software. Without VLANs, grouping hosts according to their sources needs necessities that, that labor of relocating nodes and rewiring data links. Let's say you want everybody on VLAN 5. And if you only have VLAN 5 on one switch, well, every node that you're going to plug in has to be on that switch to VLAN 5. But the beauty of that is, such as in in an education facility, let's say, let's go now for a college. So in a college, we have, let's say we have rooms 1 through 30. And then we have rooms, uh, no, let's say 100. We have rooms 100 through 110. We'll keep it simple. And then we have a second floor, 200 through 210. And we want to have rooms 200 to 205 and 100 to 105 on VLAN number two. Now, if we only had one switch of VLAN number two, we have to get wires from the upstairs floor down to that switch to plug them in. That would be pretty labor intensive. So the thought process here is, well, if we have two switches and we have VLAN five on switch two and VLAN five on switch one, Then it doesn't matter, we can plug them in and both those are going to be segmented to VLAN 5 and they're going to be tagged as so. And then the other half of the building could be on VLAN 4, same way, and it spares us all that labor intense uh, issues that we have going on there. I want to back up here for just a minute, just to see. um, Just to scroll down here a little bit and see. Uh, nope. I just wanted to see if anybody's in the chat room here, but they're not. So that's okay. Um, I don't really try to watch that when I'm recording this because we're also recording the podcast. So, But anyway, folks, I hope you've enjoyed this overall segment tonight. I mean, it, it's so very important that you get your networks uh, straightened out out there and you get everything ready to go. You know, because people rely on us. People rely on network connectivity. And when there's an issue, you're the first one's going to know about it. Uh, because everybody's going to be calling going, what's going on with the network? Uh, so hopefully you can have that figured out, segregated. Uh, if you're monitoring the network, if you can at least uh, get into your switches, buy managed switches. I found that managed switches at least allow us to get on and look for the packet storms. We can usually find a port and we can shut the port down and that will shut it off without going to that. I did tell you one other thing. There is a, a very barbaric way uh, to to clear a packet storm. Now, here's my take on this. Here's how you can clear. If you don't have no monitoring equipment, you don't have no way of checking your switches. So what you do is the first thing you do when you, when you have your network set up, and I'm sure if nothing else in your network, you have your feed cables labeled. Your feeder cable is the main cable coming to any switch that's feeding that switch. I always use port number one. Some people use the last port, port number 24 or port number 48. Whatever you do is fine. It doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong way of doing this. We have fiber optics going to every single switch panel that we own. Every switch drop, not panel drop. So in other words, I have uh, two fibers in the cupboard and I broke my network down. So I have one fiber running, say, four switches and the other fiber running the bottom four switches. The barbaric way to do this, to, to clear a packet storm or to find it, you have to start um, segmenting segmenting or segregating, your breaking your network down into segments, segmenting your network, your network, your networks. So you're going to break your networks down. And the reason we break that network down is because we're looking for where the packet storm is coming from. Once I break my network down to four switches, I only got to deal with four switches, not 80 switches I have, or you may have a thousand switches in your network. You'll break it down to the least amount of switches and isolate that packet storm. You do this in a very barbaric fashion, a very antiquated way of doing this. This is the way we've done it for years and years, folks. And I've been doing this in this business for 30 years, um, you know, back when we had really crappy network gear, We're not going to talk about that because that was a mess. But in today's world, what we do is um, we'll go out, and we simply break the network. We we pull one of the fibers out and we break an area. And then we give it about 10 or 15 minutes to see if the storm uh, breaks itself down. So does, does the internet come back up? Is it reliable again? Is your wireless gear working again? Is everything seem to be functioning? Your network connections functioning again? If it is, you just isolated that part of the network storm. If it's not, you plug that fiber in and you unplug the next one. And you go cupboard to cupboard, room to room, wherever you're at, building to building, doing this until you clear the network. That's what you got to do. It's a very old-fashioned way of doing it. Uh, It works. I've done it many times. Uh, I've always seemed to find it. Once I get it broke down to that point, I can go uh, switch. I can go port to port to port. Uh, I can tone the wires out, or hopefully they're labeled, and I can say this is uh, this room here. And then I just have to go to a handful of rooms, or a handful of areas in a building to find out and to isolate who did what, what happened in that room to start my packet storm. So hopefully it's that one time, like I said, it was a network card. That was a little bit harder to find, but we still isolated it to that room. Once we was in that room and we couldn't think of any other reason, we pulled the network card and we changed it just to see if that was it. And it cleared the storm. So there you go. There it is. I mean, it's very, very simple to do very uh, easy way of doing things. Now, folks, if you've enjoyed this show tonight, please click on the donate link and donate $1,000 to the cause of the show. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, no, if you did like the show tonight, please remember to use my Amazon link. I mean, that helps out. It doesn't cost you any more money to buy something. And I know there's great podcasters out there, much greater than I am, because I listen to a lot of them. I listen to a lot of shows, and I love uh, all the guys and girls out there doing podcasts. But if you can, uh, if you want to share the love a little bit, I know it's getting to be around a holiday season, you know, use that Amazon link. My Amazon link, for some reason, on the website wasn't working properly. I did fix it. Uh, I actually woke up this morning at 530 because it was bothering me, and I did fix it this morning. So the Amazon link is there now. Right now, it pictures like a little motorcycle thing. Don't let that throw you. I'm not telling you to buy motorcycle stuff, but click on that. And, and when you buy anything, if you, if you buy diapers for your baby to take to your mom's, you know, if you buy the paper, you're going to need to roll out to draw your network, um, whatever you buy. I mean, if you buy computers, switches, gear, uh, wax for your car, use that link, click on that link, save it as a bookmark, whatever you got to do, just use that link and then purchase it. Uh, we have found out, and somebody mentioned this the other day, if you already have stuff in your shopping cart and you click that link and then you purchase it, it, the money doesn't come back to the show. You have to, what I do is put everything in your wish list, you know. So you, you shop a little bit, having your wish list. Go out to my page, tipsfromtheserverroom.com. Click on that link, go back in, and then go in your wish list and add it to your cart and then purchase it, and then you're fine. So and we all have big wish lists, I'm sure. Uh, but once again, that link is at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. Now, folks, if you want to learn about Windows Server 2008 R2, Windows Server 2012 uh, R2, and I know. I know you guys are probably upgrading the Windows uh, 2012 server. I mean, you know, we've all been doing these rollovers and these upgrades. Or you want to learn about virtualization with ESXi, with VMware ESXi 5.5 server. From install to administration, all you got to do is go to that page, tipsfromtheserverroom.com. Look at the online class link at the top of the page. Click on that and take one of my courses. I have three courses on there. There's been thousands of people coming through these courses uh, they've all said they've worked really well for them. That's feedback from them, not me. They said they used them for everything from getting a job, for landing a job in the computer field. Um, and they used them for uh, advancing their career, maybe where they're at. Uh, you know, they were a, a hardware technician and now they're a server guy. So it, it can be used for anything. Most companies will reimburse you for this course. Uh, and I'll tell you straight up right now. So you don't have to go figure out how much is it. I don't like people that say, go do this. No, it's $250 uh, for this course. Uh, I've had people email me say, Jack, you should be charging $2,500 for this course, not $250. But it's my way to pay it forward. Uh, it's your way when you take the course to help support the show back, to help buy the gear, whatever we need to run these shows, like the spare cameras, uh, you know, the bandwidth or whatever we need to do these shows. So it helps out. I mean, it's not that much money to take the course. You watch a video, you take a short little quiz. And once you're done with it, I mail your certificate in the mail. So it's worthwhile. It's a great little certificate to frame, hang up, put it with your resume or do whatever you want to do with that. So hopefully you will uh, look into that, venture that. Sorry about that little bang of the microphone there. And uh, you know what? Take care, everybody. And I'll talk to you next week on another, once I find my mouse, on another Tips from the Serve Room. Thanks for joining me here. And I hope you come back next week. I'll see you then. Bye-bye now.